0: Physics world. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. In this episode, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of a journal that focuses on physics that's out of this world. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Electrochemical Society, founded in 1902, encourages you to participate in the leading conference dedicated to electrochemistry and solid state science. The Society is hosting their 245th ECS meeting in San Francisco, California, from May the 26th to the 30th, 2024. ECS events are the premier space for you to present your latest research, to network, and to advance the science of sustainability. ECS meetings and conferences welcome experts in academia, industry, and government to build connections, to advance fundamental research, and to inform applied sciences. Abstract Submission is open until December 1, 2023. Visit electrochem.org forward slash 245 to learn more and submit your abstract today. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the Journal of Cosmology and Astroparticle Physics, which is produced jointly by the Institute of Physics Publishing and CISA, the International School for Advanced Studies in Trieste, Italy. Earlier this year, the journal published a special retrospective issue that looked back on some of the top papers that have appeared in JCAP since 2003. And very shortly, the 20th anniversary special issue containing a selection of new papers will be published. To chat about the Journal of Cosmology and Astroparticle Physics and the future of the field, I'm joined down the line by Licia Verde, Anne Green, and Erminia Calabrese. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hello,
1: hi. It's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you for having us here. I am Professor Licia Verde. I'm a professor at the Instituto de Ciencia del Cosmos de la Universidad de Barcelona, and I'm co scientific director
0: of the journal JCAP. And Anne, tell us about yourself.
2: Ah, uh, Hello, so I'm Anne Green. I'm a professor of physics at the University of Nottingham. I work mainly on dark matter, and I'm an editor of JCAP.
0: And, uh, Erminia, you're also based in the UK, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Hi, everyone. I am Professor
3: Erminia Calabrese at Cardiff University. Um, I work on CMB cosmology, and I'm here because I'm also an editor of JCAP.
0: So, uh, Licia, it's the 20th anniversary of JCAP. Can you tell us a bit about the journal? What, what sort of research does it publish?
1: Yes, it uh, publishes all aspects of cosmology and astroparticle physics. From the cosmic microwave background, and we have an expert on Erminia here, so the early universe, cosmic rays, dark matter, and we have Anna as an expert here. But it keeps on going, neutrino, particle cosmology, larger scale structure of the universe, gravitational physics, galaxy, etc., etc. It covers theory, observation, simulation, methods, interpretation, and everything in between and at the intersection of, uh, of this I can say something more. The journal aims at excellence of content rather than sheer numbers and bibliometrics, and there's for quality and value rather than same like impact factor. And the the soul of the journal is embodied in the motto, which is for scientist by scientist. And we can develop this a little bit more if you're interested.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Can you can you tell us a bit more about the um, about the process um, and your involvement in it? What, what, what happens when, uh, uh, you know, let's say a paper arrives at the journal?
1: So um, most of the paper, and it's the preferred way of submitting the paper to the journal, they should already be in an archive, they should already be, the manuscript, let's say, should already be a preprint in the archive and then they get submitted directly from there so they become immediately accessible to the broad to the broad community. And then there is uh, uh, an algorithm that was built by, by Jacob well before my time when the journal was funded 20, 20 years ago that automatically assign uh, the, the, the submission to an editor. And the editor are, are all excellent active scientists uh, that are experts in the field and therefore can choose a referee that is well suited to the article, and therefore, hopefully, the process uh, and sometimes the pain of being a referee for a journal, and we know that there's a a big discussion about the value and the cost of refereeing, so for the referee, it's a little bit more an enriching uh, process because it's something close to to their experience. And the editor are in charge of the whole editorial process. Effectively, they act as a second referee, but take a little bit more of an holistic view. And uh, this is somewhat different from uh, from other journals, but we can do that because the editorial board is very large for the size of the journal.
0: And and what do editors and referees get out of uh, of of the process? Or do, do do you learn much more about your field? Or you do, do you learn uh, about parts of uh, of uh, astroparticle physics and astronomy that maybe you don't have expertise in? What um, what do you get out of it?
2: So it's a very good way of keeping up with things that are on the periphery of what I work on. So not the exact part of dark matter I work on, but other things that maybe I've worked on in the past or particularly interested in. And especially as one gets more senior, one gets more busy. So I'm very happy to have this reason why I can keep, you know, keeping up with these other areas. And the other thing related to that is sometimes the best referees are good postdocs. They've got time, they've got energy, and they know the details of the field, so it's also a good reason for me to keep my eye out as to who the you know new good young up and coming people
0: are right so it's a bit of a is that is that from a recruitment point of view you're looking for people who you can uh, um you can work with in the future
2: to some extent but it's just it's just nice to have a sort of broad overview of of the field
0: mm and erminia what what do you get out of uh, out of the process?
3: Well, I was gonna say I totally agree with what Anne just said. Sometimes, you know, we know people who were our colleagues or people that we have interacted with at conferences or in other situations before. But you don't wanna ask always the same person to referee a paper because otherwise, you know, they have to do too much work. And so it's a good way of learning also the new generations, who they are, and who are the new experts on that topic, because, you know, the, the field moves on very quickly. And, you know, you, you think that one person was appropriate to referee a paper, but actually, no, there is somebody else who is much, has much more knowledge. Uh, um, and so, yeah, it, it helps you um, keep up with the field in a way that you wouldn't be able to do um, simply continuing to interact with your um, immediate, um, the people that you you know uh, from the past.
0: And Licia you're you're publishing a special twentieth uh, birthday edition of the journal. C- can you give us an overview of that special issue?
1: So there are actually two special issues. There was one a retrospective special issue, and there will be another special issue looking at the future. That it's still being finalized. So in the respective special issue, the idea was to select examples of very influential yet accessible science published by, by the journal. And, you know, this is like you know choosing among your own kids. Uh, now, if I pick up something, <laughs> I will have to actually do an injustice. But, for example, um, the journal published the algorithm and the key software and code that now are being used in all the major cosmic microwave diagrams cosmology analysis, and for example, sensitivity of projected future dark matter experiments was uh, was published there, the science case for the Einstein telescope, which is the new generation of gravitational wave detectors. So um, I had a hard time in actually choosing which paper to choose for the anniversary, but I thought that uh, it's a nice showcase of the role that the journal managed to play in the evolution of this field that is a relatively new field that the interface between say more traditional astronomy and more something like particle physics
0: and um and and the the, the forward-looking special issue that's going to appear soon um what, uh, I mean, you, you've told me not to miss it. So why, oh, that's what I've got in my notes. Why Why shouldn't we miss it?
1: So I think uh, we managed to collect enough article that gives a snapshot of what is the state of the art in the field. This is not a snapshot. This is not, these are not a review article. These are, you know, uh, uh new re- re- research articles, but they cover all the research area and all the area that the journal covers. And so it gives you a little bit of a snapshot of the field. And when you get a snapshot of something, you can sort of try to extrapolate uh, what will happen in the future. And so it sort of gives you some food for thought to think what where is the field uh, the field going. I think we have a lineup of extremely good uh, authors. Uh, many of them are our own editors. And so, again, don't miss it.
0: <laughs> okay. And, um, Erminia, what, what are some of the, the hot topics in cosmology and astroparticle physics today? And what can we expect over the next uh, 20 years in the journal?
3: Yeah. So I, I can tell you the hot topics, um, in my research area. Um, uh, so I work on cosmology from the CME, as I said earlier, this is the cosmic microwave background, the relic light from the big bang, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this has been one of our main source of information about the universe in particular over the last two decades, uh, roughly and has been really the driving force in getting to establish a cosmological model and the you know measure with extreme precision fundamental properties about the universe however uh, despite this you know incredible success and a lot of work that has happened in the last two decades we still have got lots to do Uh, so the the model that we have come up with is incomplete from a theoretical point of view. We don't know what actually happened at the very beginning of the universe. We don't know where we are going to go in the future with the universe. Uh, There are a bunch of things in between the beginning and the end that are still unclear. Um, For example, we haven't measured yet the absolute mass of neutrino particles, and that's something that the CMB lights can uh, tell us something about. Um, So there are Many open fundamental questions and um, the uh, exciting thing is that we do have a bunch of um, ways to go after them with the CMB. Um, In particular, we are uh, building and deploying a set of new generation of experiments um, and telescopes that are going to measure with high precision the polarization of this light uh, to you know, a level of sensitivity and resolution that has never done before. And you know, what we are preparing for is um, to be able to ex- extract from these new observations, new signatures, new regimes where we can test our cosmological models and you know, potentially have new discoveries and answer all these questions that are left uh, for us to work on.
0: And and what are the the big questions at the moment in your field? You're saying that you're soon soon you're going to have lots of new data. What do you hope that? What are the mysteries that you hope that data can address?
3: So I mentioned earlier the neutrino mass that that's one of them. So neutrinos are a fundamental particle in our standard model of particle physics. We know they have a mass. We don't know what that value is yet, and that is such a big building block of all our. Uh, understanding, um, of the universe and particle physics, that is really important for us to go and measure that. Uh, one, uh, major one is, you know, like the, the one of the most fundamental question of them all, how did the universe begin? Uh, so we have this um, idea, uh, that at the very beginning of the universe, so just a fraction of a second after the big bang, the universe underwent a superluminal expansion, um driven by a process that we call cosmic inflation well as of today we don't know if this is true if it really happened if it happened how it happened and what caused it what kind of physics could have you know made that happen and these are like energy scales that are you know a trillion bigger than Anything we can achieve on Earth, right So we can't go and study it somewhere else. The only way for us to get there is uh, to to look at observation from the, the CMB. Uh, so that's one and then obviously as the CMB travel, um, travels to, uh, you know, from the beginning of the universe to today, he interacts with everything that is present in the universe. So, you know, from uh, a single electron to a star, a galaxy, a cluster of galaxies, And by doing that, he kind of captures signatures of everything that is happening. So where is the dark matter? How much of it there is? because now we know it's there to be able to have galaxies and cluster of galaxies. We can't see it directly, but we can um, understand how it affects the observations and other things. So we can figure out uh, a little bit more about the nature of dark matter, uh, how dark energy, which is this other component that is driving the universe in a- accelerated expansion today, um, uh, how is uh, dark energy is doing that, Trying to restrict a little bit the many theory, um, uh, the theory landscape that we currently have today on uh, this exotic component, and trying to understand uh, a little bit more about its fundamental nature.
0: Mm. I suppose some big, some big questions there. I'm guessing, Anne, that you've got some some big questions as well that you'd like to answer over the next twenty years.
2: Well, the very obvious one is what is dark matter? As Aminia just said, we're, we're almost certain it exists. There's huge amounts of observational evidence from astrophysics and cosmology. It's possible that maybe gravity is doing something strange instead, but it seems to be hard to explain all of these different observations without dark matter. So for many years, most of the field was focused on weakly interacting massive particles, or WIMPs for short, because they have this really good theoretical motivation. However, there's been lots of detailed work by theorists working out what we should be looking for. Experimentalists have built bigger and better experiments. And so far, there's not been any convincing sign of WIMPs. Now, we're certainly not at the point we should give up on WIMPs. It's possible that they're still there, but just a bit more weakly interacting than perhaps we initially thought. But we're certainly at a point where people are beginning to consider a wider range of possibilities as to what dark matter could be. For instance, axions that are also well-motivated and possibly didn't get the attention that they really deserve. There's now a huge range of new experimental searches, new techniques trying to find them. And then also new theoretical ideas as to what dark matter could be and then how to go about detecting it. So things haven't quite worked out how we were hoping they would. But on the other hand, it's exciting because it means that there's other new physics to be Discovered,
0: and, and, and what sort of observations are, are, are you talking about? Is this all observations of the cosmic microwave background or are, there, are you looking at specific astrophysical objects? Well, how, what, how do you get a handle on the nature of dark matter?
2: So there's a wide range of observations depending on exactly what the dark matter is. Um, as Aminia already talked about, the CMB is fantastic for telling us how much dark matter there is. It also can tell us about how often it interacts or whether it decays. WIMPs are their own antiparticles, so they can annihilate producing high-energy gamma rays and antimatter. So those are really useful observations there, for instance, using the Fermi telescope and in future things like CTA. Axions can be converted into photons, so that's again, telescopes are a good way of looking for things. There's a really powerful uh, new tool for probing dark matter been opened up via gravitational waves. and In particular, there are certain situations where exactly what dark matter is affects gravitational wave signatures, and that's very much a long-term future thing that people are now doing the calculations to work out what we can look for in the future.
0: And and Licia, the, the journal is co-published um, by the Institute of Physics and CISA. Can you tell us uh, something about those organizations? How, how did they come together um, to bring us this journal?
1: Sure. So uh, Jacob is indeed for, for for Jacob CISA Media Lab and IOP represent a partnership, and there is uh, an alignment on what. Uh, we believe are all the important points like high quality of scientific content the value and the added value of peer review and peer review excellence also through training and certification program of the reviewer Very important ethical aspects and research integrity and uh, a way to find a sustainable route to open access. And I'm I'm sure all the researchers have this very clear in, in their mind and what the needs of the researchers are that sometimes clash with. Uh, the way the publication system is, uh, is set up. So the SISA Media Lab editorial uh, has an editorial office and does the, the editorial part, uh, managing the editor and the review and the production. And uh, uh, the authors uh, find that uh, that they get some sort of uh, personal touch in the production of their uh, of their uh, of their article, and then it's uh, published by IOP, so gives us a global reach, um, and uh, and the, the, the marketing part and the and the distribution.
0: And and IOP, the Institute of Physics Publishing, is uh, is a not for profit publisher that's owned by the UK's Institute of Physics. Can you can you tell us a bit about CISA?
1: Um, so SISA also is a, a non-for-profit uh, that has uh, the Media Lab, which does not just the journal, but also uh, public outreach and also program for schools uh, and training, but also has the SISA, which is a, a school, it's like uh, a higher education uh, institution. And they go hand in hand uh, with this mission of uh, excellent research and Training the new generation of uh, of researchers.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, congratulations on the on the twentieth anniversary of the journal, and uh, yeah, looking forward to see that to seeing that second special issue. Thanks, Licia, Erminia, and Anne for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You can find the Journal of Cosmology and Astroparticle Physics on the IOP Science website, and do look out for the 20th anniversary special issue. Looking back a bit further into the history of physics, it was 30 years ago that the U.S. Congress dealt a crushing blow to America's particle physics community. On October 19, 1993, the House of Representatives withdrew funding from the Superconducting Supercollider, or SSC, which was under construction near Dallas, Texas. $2 billion of federal and state money had already been spent on the project, which would have seen an 87-kilometer circumference proton collider built underground. The SSC would have had a collision energy of 40 tera-electron volts, about three times higher than the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, which was completed in 2008. The cancellation of the SSC means different things to different people. To some, it shows that one nation, no matter how large and wealthy, cannot go it alone when it comes to cutting-edge facilities. To others, its demise was the result of skyrocketing costs and poor management, something that plagues many large infrastructure projects to this day. Still others point to the rift that it opened in the U.S. physics community, with prominent condensed matter physicists like the Nobel laureate Philip Anderson claiming that the SSC would drain money away from other worthy science. But what about the technical approach taken by SSC designers? Was that doomed as well? On the Physics World website, the physicist and science historian Michael Riordan argues that a more conservative, two-stage approach should have been taken with the SSC design, first building a less energetic collider in the tunnel, and then using lessons learned to upgrade to higher energies. That was the approach taken by CERN, who first built the Large Electron-Positron Collider in 1989, and later the LHC in the same tunnel. Indeed, Riordan argues that if the SSC had begun as an Electron-Positron Collider, it may have discovered the Higgs boson before the turn of the millennium. You can read his article on the Physics World website. Just look for the headline, Could a Different Approach Have Saved the Superconducting Supercollider? Coming up on the 14th of November, Physics World and Sun Nuclear are bringing you a webinar on the quality assurance of MRI-guided radiotherapy systems. It'll be presented by Stephanie Tannadini lang Who is the co vice chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology at University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland? Stephanie will address the unique challenges and considerations that MRI guided radiotherapy systems quality assurance presents. From image distortion and system calibration to complex workflows, Understanding and mitigating these challenges is vital for every healthcare professional working with MRI-guided radiotherapy systems. Moreover, the webinar will delve into well-established quality assurance protocols and procedures that are tailored specifically to MRI-guided radiotherapy systems. The webinar is free of charge thanks to the sponsorship of Sun Nuclear. You can register for the webinar on the Physics World website. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast, which is sponsored by the Electrochemical Society. Thanks to the JCAP editors for joining me today, and a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week, but in the meantime, do check out the latest episode of the Physics World Stories podcast. Host Andrew Glester speaks to two physicists who are working to overcome inequality in society. They look at how international policymaking can be strengthened by the contributions of more people with backgrounds in fundamental science and also look at how patterns in consumer energy usage can be used to reveal local inequalities. That episode is called Physics for Fairness, tackling global sustainability challenges through science. And it can be found on the Physics World website and at your favorite podcast provider. The Electrochemical Society, founded in 1902, encourages you to participate in the leading conference dedicated to electrochemistry and solid-state science. The Society is hosting their 245th ECS meeting in San Francisco, California, from May the 26th to the 30th, 2024. ECS events are the premier space for you to present your latest research, to network, and to advance the science of sustainability. ECS meetings and conferences welcome experts in academia, industry, and government to build connections, to advance fundamental research, and to inform applied sciences. Abstract Submission is open until December 1, 2023. Visit electrocamorg forward slash two four five to learn more and submit your abstract today.
2: Physics World